smart, enabling organisations and individuals to be disability inclusive and accessible. Hello everybody, welcome to another episode of the Be People Smart podcast where we'll be busting some more myths. I'm Jodie Greer, I'm your host and I'm the founder of Be People Smart and again I am joined by another wonderful guest speaker. I know I'm spoiled but I'm spoiling you as well and today we're joined by Sarah Stones. So Sarah, hello, thank you so much for being here and can I ask you to introduce yourself please? Yeah, and thank you for asking me, Jodie. So I'm Sarah Stones, and I'm a coach and a motivation specialist. Wow. I mean, that in itself we need to know a bit more about. So before we find out more about Sarah, I'm going to tell you about the myths that we're going to be busting. So today, the myths, among everything else that comes up in conversation, I'm sure, is one... If it says it's accessible, then it will be. That's definitely a conversation. And the other is hotels know whether they are accessible or not. So that's actually a really hot topic and something I'm quite looking forward to speaking about. So, Sarah, if we can just put the conversation into a bit more context as well. Can you share a little bit about yourself? Because you have a disability, don't you? And you have some accessibility needs. So that might help us to set the scene. Yeah, so I have cerebral palsy. I can walk short distances, but I use, I don't know whether lots of people have heard of them, but it's called an Omeo, which is the most amazing new wheelchair. I would call it a mobility device, really because it's a segway with a seat on it. Yeah, I have to say, until we first met, Sarah, I'd never heard of them, and I am fascinated now. I want to go. They look like amazing devices. Um, Yeah, they were totally new to me, but they're just so robust-looking as well. They're incredible, and for someone who can't walk very well at all, it's opened up going on beaches, going up mountains, going just 30 miles on one charge, which normal mobility scooters do about five miles. So you can go for a long walk to the pub for lunch, and it is just incredible. And people, the, the other big thing about it is People see the chair, they don't see the disability, which is a really big switch. But it's just fascinating because obviously when I say I want to go, I genuinely want to try it to see how this works. I would never say that about a wheelchair, right? But the reason I say about these is they're literally, like a Segway, they're controlled with like your weight balance, aren't they? Yeah, they are. And you can even steal them if you lean left and right. So they are hands-free, really. That is just classic. Um, if anybody wants to look at them, the website is myadaptability.co.uk or just go on Instagram and put Omeo, O-M-E-O, 
Thank you. And we can include links with the uh, episode yeah. as well so that people can go and have a look because I was fascinated and I still think they're just amazing. So hats off to the very, very clever people mm. who created them. In New Zealand. Oh, wow. Talking about other countries and disabilities and kit and so on, I just also want to touch on, I know this isn't related to our myths, but um, you have a very interesting life, Sarah. And one of the things that often comes up in conversation is that people believe, you know, disabilities are very limiting and all this sort of stuff. And I know sometimes there can be barriers, but I just want to touch on some of the exciting stuff you do. Not exciting for me, someone who gets seasick very easily. But you've sailed some fabulous journeys, haven't you? I've been very lucky, yeah. So after I graduated, which is a very long time ago now, but I sailed across the uh, Atlantic in a tall ship, which was a three-month trip, and it was incredible. But I do lots of sailing still, which is why my company name a plain sailing motivation came from because apart from the fact that motivation should be plain sailing it fitted in really well it definitely does i love the fact that you put part of yourself into the actual uh company name as well but it was one of those light bulb moments <laughs> it's just such a it's just such a um you know, amazing thing to think about. And as I say, it's not saying I would be inspired by it because me and Sailing are not friends, but it's it's a huge feat and something to be really proud of. Would you jump out of an aeroplane, Jodie? No, I'm too much of a wuss. I've done that too. Have <laughs> you? You're an adrenaline junkie, Sarah. I am, I think, yes. And I've sit wired off a time bridge. <laughs> and in that one I wrote to my mum who was about 60 at the time I wrote her into doing it in fact she said that having me has made her do things she would never have done yeah I mean I would be there holding your coat and applauding you <laughs> <laughs> so no I love all that and I just love the fact when we share you know being disabled and fulfilled lives go hand in hand you know like it's really interesting they've just come back from a week sailing in Greece on a flotilla holiday and on a flotilla I don't know whether you know but there's sort of 10 12 boats all with different families friends whatever on and like at the start of any holiday, you're sort of looking at everybody thinking, oh, what do they do and what's their background? And you can see people looking at me and thinking, how's she going to cope on a boat? But actually, if you think about a boat is just a caravan on water, really. But when you're in a caravan or a boat, Everything is nearby. 
So you can grab things when you're walking around. So actually, for me being on a boat, it's much, much easier than being in a hotel or a cottage or something. Yeah, do you know, I've never thought of it like that, but it makes a lot of sense. Mm. And actually, it's a really good segue. Let's see what I did there. Into <laughs> It's a really good segue into us talking about hotels. Mm. So let's just sort of dive in a bit. And I'd love to know some of your own personal experiences. You know, there's going to be positive, you know, a bit more uh, negative. Um, actually, some of them might be really bad. All the experiences you've had when you're, you know, booking hotel stays and when you're actually arriving at hotels. So what are the ones that come to mind that you really would like to tell us about? The one recently where... Very, very fortunately for me, I booked a hotel not far away from home for various reasons, including the fact that we were all going out and I wanted to have a couple of drinks. So just to make it clear, I can, I don't need a fully accessible room, but because I use a wheelchair, I need to be able to access that room. So I'd gone on through booking.com, which I use regularly because I do do a lot of travel for work, and I'd put what I normally do about not needing a fully accessible room, but being able to get in into that room, went into reception of this hotel on my uh, own own, so in my wheelchair, asked for the key, was given the key, and I said, oh, could you tell me where to go? Oh, it's up those stairs. And, I mean, I'm guessing this person had sight. They could actually see you sitting in your wheelchair. Yes, yeah. And I'm not speechless very often. (laughs) But I was. And I said, oh, okay. um, Can you see I'm sitting down? So, and he said, oh, can you tell me where the lift is please we don't have a lift I said could you then show me where the downstairs room is we don't have a downstairs room I said well I did put this note oh obviously no one read that note on the book obviously and it just got worse because I said, were there any other hotels locally? No. And I said, oh, where would I find the nearest hotel? Oh, and that was sort of five, ten miles away. So I said, can you give me any help with that? No. Customer service at its best. Customer service at its best. I have to say, the chief exec of that hotel chain has been 
amazing. And we are in discussions about how I can help them with this. Well, I mean, don't get me wrong. It doesn't take away from the negative experience you had. But like I always say, you know, if companies are genuinely willing to listen, make changes be, and improve to become, you know, accessible, that's that's the biggest feat. So if they're genuine about that, I think, you know, it's great that you've been able to enforce that in them. You know, you've but, been able to make that happen. But if I had been 200, 300 miles away from home, or if I'd have been out and been for dinner and had a glass of wine and then gone to check in. Yeah, what I mean, would I, literally, have I don't know what they would have done. No. Well, he quite clearly wouldn't have done anything. Um, so that's sort of a most recent one. I then booked another hotel. I don't always stay in hotels, by the way, but <laughs> I was going to Cornwall and booked a hotel that said it was accessible and then just got a message back saying, we strongly advise you to cancel this booking. That's um, it. That was it. No reason why. That's just that's just bizarre, no, isn't it? So those are some really bad examples, but I have to say, looking for a hotel in Cornwall, uh, and is it all right if I do mention the name of one? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So it was Boscomana in Nisentos. The lady there called Louise was amazing. She did, now this is what I think would be incredible for all hotels to do. She messaged me, she said how much they were looking forward to seeing me. She said that uh, it was an 18th century building. And could she have a call with me to make sure that the the hotel would be the appropriate place for my needs and that I would have a lovely time? We then had some chats. She then sent me some really short videos just of the walk from the car park into the building the building to where the bedrooms were or reception to the bedrooms. She could not have been more helpful. And because I was going away for a week, I decided that actually it probably wasn't the best place for me to stay that week. But she was amazing and it was my decision. And it should be my decision where I say. But I was saying to her, how amazing would it be if all hotels didn't just have an accessibility statement hidden in the depths of their website 
that said about how accessible their website is, but just had a page of pictures or videos so that as a disabled person, I can just click on that and have a look and decide for myself if it will be suitable. Yeah, I just, I mean, that's just absolutely amazing idea. And I want to come back to that about what um, hotels and other venues can put onto their yeah. uh, websites. But I just want to say that it just goes to show, right? Because when you turned up at that first hotel and the person you met was just so utterly unhelpful, I mean, that's not even about disability confidence. It's not about awareness. It's not even about training. There's a human factor to this. And you know, I know common sense isn't always that common. <laughs> but, I mean, come on. You know, I'd be really embarrassed. I don't just mean, you know, disability confident Jody be embarrassed. I, as a person, I'd be really embarrassed if there was something really evident right in front of my face to basically say something so contradictory about it. It, it wouldn't even make sense. Um, so that just goes to show. And maybe Louise, everyone needs to be more Louise. Maybe Louise has personal experience. Maybe she has been trained. But that experience to give you the opportunity to make an informed decision for yourself as a traveller, as a, you know, as a guest. I'd love to see that everywhere. Yeah. This trap on reception naturally went once at worse and said, well, we don't say on any websites at all that we are accessible. <laughs> well, that's all right, Jack. Really? Way, I don't know his name's Jack. That's just yeah. a UK term. <laughs> just, yeah, so it baffles me. But I want to come back now because I love your point. So when we talk about accessible accessibility statements on websites... You know, they're these, let's be frank, a lot pretty much tick boxy, whether or not, you know, you've taken steps to make sure your actual website is digitally accessible. And unfortunately, even then, a lot of companies, if you look at them, just give you a whole list of all the things on their website that aren't digitally accessible and they're aware of it. And at some point they're going to fix it. So they don't really, for the most part, serve a hell of a lot of purpose other than to say someone's looked at it and has told you how far they've gone with the website. So from a service perspective, from how, you know, accessible your actual products, your venues are, that's what customers want to know. It's not rocket science, is it? I want to know whether there's a step to get in your building or whether you have a lift to your bedrooms, talking about hotels, whether there's an accessible loo. It's not, I don't want to know that you are compliant with British standard, whatever it might be, that I know you'd be able to tell us, Jodie, but that's sort of, it's like I want practical things. And I don't want to have to spend five minutes scrolling down to the very bottom of your web page 
to find accessibility. And then when I do find it, all I get is a, a statement about your website. Yeah, no, I think there's so much power in that. And I'm hoping that we can reach some people that matter, you know, those that are actually in these industries with this message so that we can actually start, you know, encouraging that changeover on websites because it'll make such a world of difference. And it don't even need to be two. You know, you can have an element within there that also says that, you know, digitally you take those steps. But the priority is... Can I buy from you? Can I get to you? Can I use what you're offering? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I just There's so much to be said about it. I mean, I'll give you an example. Um, someone I know went on business travel. Um, the hotel was listed as accessible on their internal system. They checked for themselves and on the website, it did say the hotel was accessible. Not in detail, but it said it was accessible. So they actually contacted them themselves. This didn't go through the travel team. They did it themselves um, just to be sure. And they said, you know, is it step free? Um, He was a wheelchair user. They said, yes. Blew overseas, got to this hotel, got through the front doors to reception, fine. Then when he was directed to his room, he was told to turn right at reception. Well, we looked and there was three steps. So he said, what what way do I go for the accessible access to my room? And I said, oh, no, all the rooms are up, you know, those three steps. And he said, but I've already called and checked. They said, no, it's only them three steps. And then everything else is step three. And he said, well, I don't think you understand. I I literally cannot walk. I am a full-time wheelchair user to get about. I can't go up three steps. And how's my chair getting up there? So in the end, they offered to carry him. And he said, is that really your solution? And he said, yeah. He said, no, I'm I'm not comfortable with that. So he ended up having to crawl up the steps with them carrying his chair back for him and then manoeuvring himself back into his chair. And I said, well, what did you do when you came for breakfast? You know, because, Mm. of course, you've got to be able to get back from your room and back to your room. Mm. And he said, it was awful. I said to them, what do I do when I need to get back down? And they said, you can call us. And he said, what? So I phone you from my room. And I said, you can always shout from the top of the steps. And this is the thing, the perception. And don't get me wrong. I think there's a different perception of accessibility in some countries to others and so on anyway. But the perception of accessibility to teams, even if they've had some training on it, because, of course, that training comes from somewhere is very, very different. So I want to ask you about that. Have you been to any particular locations? I'm more thinking about countries where you've had, you know, a consistent, positive experience versus others. I'm just curious. It's quite a long time ago, but I was so impressed in the States. They were way ahead of us when I was over there, uh, and I'm sure they probably are still, uh, in general, good. When I was in Greece a fortnight ago, I was, it really hit me for the first time in my life how lucky I was that I was born in the UK. Oh, wow. Because in Greece, they've got very few drop herbs. They've got 
steps into all of the shops or nearly all of the shops. I mean, we weren't in big cities, we were in villages, but um, it really did. It was the first time I'd stopped and thought, Crikey, aren't I lucky to have been born in the UK where actually we are complaining, but it is so accessible on the whole. Yeah, there's so many things to sort of unpick from that, because even here in the UK, obviously we have listed buildings. And just yesterday, actually, I was at an event and after I did my talk, um, some people come to speak to me because they are personally based in a, a listed building for their company um, and it's got skinny doors and they can't literally extend them. So this, it's not just a case of, you know, adding some facilities. Um, yeah. They can't make certain changes. So you literally, a wheelchair cannot fit through their door frames. Um, and it's an absolute no from the planning team to make any any changes to that, you know, doorway. They cannot extend them. And so sometimes listed buildings, it's a bit too easy for companies to make excuses rather than work with planning teams. But sometimes you literally are hitting your head on a wall if you opt for those kind of uh, buildings for your business. And that's a big thing, I think, for people to be aware of, especially when they're looking for new space. It's huge. And and it's so, I mean, when you think about the size of the disability market, you are blocking so many. I mean, you probably know how many, Jodie, but you're saying, no, you can't come in to so many people. The shops where I live in St. Neots that I've never been in because there's too many steps. Yeah, it's just, there's so much to be done and I'm waiting to see, when when does it flip? So again, I'm thinking quite UK-centric, but when does it flip and when does accessibility start superseding heritage? And I'm not talking about, yeah. I love I love old buildings. You know, I absolutely love, like in London, the old skyline and the older architecture is something I'm very proud of and I love to look at yeah but there is a hybrid to that you need to be able to still accommodate people to use these places now some there are some that have literally got just a very rickety old stone staircase um other than you know knocking it down and starting again it's just not even feasible and to a point I understand that but for a lot of them it is just about, you know, planning teams and heritage societies working together with businesses to actually say, look, how can we have the best of both worlds? Yeah, and that really hits home. When I said I was in uh, communication with the chief exec of this hotel, his chain is all of buildings. And he shared with me that recently they've had an application for a ramp turned down by the conservation officer. And what you just said, it, I, when I was in Cornwall, I was in St. Ives. And I don't know where you've been, but it's all cobbled streets in the main high street 
most of the shops have got sacks. But I was really impressed with one shop who had a doorbell at the height that you could reach from a wheelchair. And it was saying, if you need a hand, ring it. So I thought, fantastic. I thought, I can get in here. They'll bring a ramp. And when I rang it, someone came straight out and she said, I'm really sorry we don't have a ramp. The local authority council would... She said, we used to have a run, but they've told us we're not allowed to use it because of health and safety. What, not even literally put it out for someone to be able to just get in and out? I think the issue was it would go out on the cobbles, but yeah, no. And somebody, I was in Cambridge in a shop last weekend, and I was told the same thing. Wow. Yeah, I mean, wow. Even if I mean, with with yeah, with things like that, there's there's always an answer. I I don't believe that. I I'm convinced yeah. there's always an answer. Um, Everyone but... needs a Jody. <laughs> <laughs> I think people just need to sometimes think outside the box. Like yeah. a particular ramp bought off the shelf might not be the solution for that yeah. specific location. Um, but yeah, a bit of thinking outside the box for the canvas, I, I believe, is absolutely achievable. Um, I just want to bounce back because I mentioned business travel. And mm. obviously, you know, we both work, you know, with businesses and you certainly work with a lot of professionals. Um, and I want to bounce back because when it comes to business travel and accessibility, it's really hard because for the most part, and I'm I'm thinking specifically with larger businesses here, people have to choose their hotels from a defined list. You know, this predefined list, this is where you're allowed to stay, that's where it's compliant. And so either um, it's trying to find the lesser of evils if they're not actually accessible or if they are, but only to a point, but also it's having complete confidence then without taking the time to speak to them directly, which I know a lot of people do, that they, if they say they're accessible, they actually are. That's a, that's a massive thing when it comes to business travel because it's about your development, it's about your productivity, um, but it's also just about equitable experience with your colleagues. I suppose I don't, I don't generally stop and think about how much time booking the hotels and booking travel how much extra time that takes me every time I'm going somewhere and stopping to think about it, it does. Because you're, you've got to be thinking about everything, which is, I think, in a way, why a lot of people with disabilities are such amazing problem solvers and good at thinking outside of the box, which is definitely where I add value to my clients. But you've got to be, you've got to be thinking about every detail. You can't just book something and go, because when I have done that, I've come up with problems like stairs. 
Yes. And and I think this is a big part of it, right? Because even if, um, you know, someone manages to get to a room, for instance, if that room doesn't actually accommodate your needs, it, I mean, not just on business travel, but obviously on business travel, you need to be switched on. You've normally got a schedule to keep. And that fatigue that gets caused by, you know, that room not working for you, um, the brain fog, whatever it could be, has a, a big impact on you as well as a person, as a professional. Mm-hmm. And I think businesses often don't really identify with that. So they don't do enough to make sure if they're saying one of the hotels on the list is accessible, then it is, or this is what they mean by that. And I think that's a really good point because I know I uh, work for the Department for Justice as well. And just thinking about they've got a rule that if you don't have to leave home before seven in the morning to get to your work venue, then you can't claim for a hotel which is fine for me, but if you've got chronic fatigue or uh, another disability, having to leave that early and travel might be really the last thing. Well, it might stop you from doing that work. Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean... There's some simple wins here as well. So like I've spoken to a few businesses where I've said, you know, if you want to be confident in your hotels overseas, you don't need to fly someone from the US or from the UK to every country in the world. But what you can do, you can have fairly simplistic, but work out what the minimum parameters are. Have a fairly simplistic checklist. Get one of your own colleagues from the the building, you know, from your site in that country to go to these hotels and check this list. So they don't have to be an expert, but they check this list. Worst case scenario, if you've got hotels in in, in countries, sorry, where you don't operate, ask the hotel to give you those same responses. Yeah. Because at least then, it may be only some of those are actually a yes, but at least then you know, and you know where those limitations are. And actually, rather than just saying somewhere's accessible, market as accessible with this list attached effectively tell people what it does have and what it yeah. doesn't have yeah it doesn't have to be you know an extra industry to get this you know as accurate as you can but that little bit of forethought makes a world of difference to people completely completely and actually just going on from that my creative thinking coming out love it if uh, be people smart. You could just have a, a list, a tick list that people could have and put on their website as to which, uh, what they have and what they don't have. Do you know what, Sarah? I will take up the challenge and I will look at that as a free resource. Mm. Because I know we give away too much, but it is a checklist. I do want this to actually happen. So I'm going to take a look at that. Thank you very much. When this airs, I know I'm going to get um, people probably chasing me up now saying, have you got it yet? But that is definitely getting added to my to-do list. Thank you. 
Um, thanks for giving me extra work. (laughs) (laughs) It's a really good point. No, I think it's very valid. So talking about valid, talking about, you know, hotels needing to understand this and get it right. If you could give a message to every hotel around the globe, so we're going to pretend it goes out in every language, right? Um, And I haven't even given you my magic wand yet. That's a bit later. What would you like to say to hotels? Just think and just communicate or either by putting things on your website in the first instance and then giving a phone number. The other thing is making sure that your staff have training and understand that everybody's needs are different and just ask. Don't assume. We disabled people will not get upset if you say, what do you need any help? Let us know what you need. People are too afraid to say that. No, I think that's a brilliant point. And I love the point on training because can you imagine you have a phone number, you call it and the person at the other end has no idea what you're talking about or how they're supposed to answer you. So that training piece is also really, really important. So thank you. I like that. And I hope some hotels are listening today. Mm, So Um, I I just want to bounce back a bit to you as well. So we've talked a lot, obviously, which is what we intended to do about hotels. Um. And also, I think we've busted the myth that if it says it's accessible, then it is. Um, But I just want to come back. We talked, obviously, about people in business and being productive and so on. What made you decide to become a coach? Oh, good question. I've always done it, really. Even when I didn't realise that I was a coach. Um, And I love people. Seeing people achieve their dreams, and some people don't even know what those dreams are, and we all get very stuck. And actually, if I have a dripping tap, I'll ask a plumber, but if we have problems where we're sort of feeling I'm either stuck in a career that I don't enjoy or I really don't know what I want to do or I'm heading for retirement and it scares the hell out of me because I don't know what I'll be doing. If I've had, I suppose, working with people with disabilities, some people are disabled as we've just talked about by their environment but some people that I've met are actually disabled by the people around them not having that belief and not pushing them. I was so lucky with my parents and that's why I've been able to achieve as much as I because people didn't pick me up I had to pick myself up well and I learned from that and I think coaching 
when when you see the difference in somebody from working out helping them work out if they're not clear on what their goals are what their aims are what their values are and being able to help them really clarify those and then help them achieve them it's the most incredible thing to be able to do what a wonderful job and so I mean I've got no doubt that you know having a coach with lived experience of disability can be really valuable for people and um, I'm just curious do you tend to get more clients who have lifelong disabilities or those who have acquired disabilities later in life? So first of all I work with loads of people where most of my clients haven't got disabilities but uh, I work with people, I think it's a really even split between those with disabilities and those with acquired disabilities. And I think that I, as a disabled person, I've grown up, it's all I've known. If you have had a life-changing injury or an illness, and it's your your you come into this new life so completely different to your old life, it's about having to reframe and really take stock and think, you know. Where am I going now? And actually, it's just having help through that life change because your life can be as fulfilling, if not more. Um, But it can be really hard to see that if you're new into this new world. No, thank you. That's exactly why I asked, because in my mind, I was thinking, obviously, everyone can benefit from coaching. But if you have acquired a disability and you're literally, you know, you're getting your head around it and you're trying to find your new kind of coping mechanisms and certain ways of doing things. And then what does that mean for you as a person and as a professional? I can imagine there'd be quite a big gravitas towards finding someone who can help you find the answers. Yeah. And I think what... Having a coach with a disability, I can challenge people and ask questions that someone without a disability wouldn't be able to. It's sort of because I'm coming from that position of having insight, okay, I'm not, I don't live your life, but. I've got a better understanding of it than someone who hasn't had those challenges. Thank you. And again, hopefully some people listening who maybe are looking for a coach, um, either because they just are or because of what we've just spoken about, you know, sort of working out this new life of yours. um, You can reach out to Sarah and we'll share a bit later in the episode about how you can do that. Um, Sarah, I do want to ask you, 
and I know everybody's different. So I know that obviously it's not going to be consistent. But when you're coaching people, are there any recurring concerns or barriers that tend to arise? Oh, that's a really good question. I think a lot of it is, yeah, I think the big one is all of these beliefs that we've built up over the years. I can't do this, or I'm not good enough for that, or people wouldn't want to see me doing this, or um, that's not my world. And it's it's about using all the techniques in my toolkit, including, say, this year I've done some extra training to become a master practitioner in neuro-linguistic programming. And Easy for you to say. <laughs> I'm glad I've got that out. Because what we don't often realise is that 80% of what goes on in your brain is subconscious. And so there's all of those old beliefs, all of those people when you were five saying, oh, you're you're not good enough, you'll never do that. And naturally what we've got to do is get over all of those because none of us were born unconfident or anxious because... Anxiety can really hold us back. And using all of these tools, we can support people. Anxiety has come from somewhere. Let's unpick that. Let's get rid of that. And then if if you're, say, an anxious or a fearful person or don't have that confidence, Imagine what it would be like when we we discover, we take off all of these layers of the onion and we find that amazing, confident, brave you that can achieve all of those goals that you want to achieve. Yeah, do you know what? I, do, I just love that. I mean... <laughs> It's so funny. I was literally picturing people peeling these onions with big grins on their face, sort of recognising, actually, this is me. Um, yeah, I really like that. And so I want to bounce into my Harry Potter-esque question then, because... Oh, exciting! <laughs> what you just said is so powerful. And so you've got so much to offer. So if I gave you my magic wand, so it's magic and there's no limitations... And you can change something in the world to make it more inclusive or more accessible. What would you do with that wand? I'd change everybody's perception of disability and make sure that everybody could see that everybody in this world is a Harry Potter. Everybody's magic. We just sometimes can't, don't discover what that magic is. 
Do you know, I love that. I always love the answers to that question, but that is just absolutely brilliant. And this is what makes me actually want to have that magic wand to give to you. And sadly, I don't. But I believe that you are doing magic. So we're halfway there. <laughs> uh, what would you love people to take away today? Other than the fact, obviously, all the learning from you. I think it's about don't be scared of disability. Don't be scared of, oh, we've got to meet this legislation and that legislation. It's not rocket science. It's all common sense. And actually, you can speak to Jody and uh, you can speak to other people that are doing amazing work like Jody and be you know you'll be able to do a lot of it yourself but actually if you can't just call call your sort of your version of a plumber <laughs> your disability plumber yeah <laughs> I like that so, Sarah, do you know, you've shared so much today already. And it's, I mean, obviously, you and I have spoken a few times, and I love it. You know, you know, I'm always uh, fond of our conversations. Never a short one. It's <laughs> <laughs> probably because I talk too much. But oh, it's just, it's always, I learn stuff from you every time we talk. But you're just, you know, you're just such an alluring character that you just want to chat. So, yeah, I, I've just I've had an absolute ball today. I'm really thrilled that you've been here now for everybody else who's just as thrilled and they want to connect. And those who do want to um, inquire about coaching, where do they find you to find out more? So my website is plain sailing motivation and I'm on LinkedIn. It's Sarah Stones. S-T-O-N-E-S and uh, I also have a Twitter page and I'll let Jody post the link. Yep so all the links that you want me to share I absolutely can do with the episode and I definitely will because I have no doubt that people are going to want to find you. Um, It's just yeah I know I've said it already but it's been an absolute pleasure Sarah. I am really grateful that you could spare the time because I know you're a very busy lady but thank you so much for being here today. That's all right. Thank you so much for asking me. It's been great fun. Excellent. And thank you to all of you for listening to this episode. I really hope you enjoyed it. I have no doubt that you've enjoyed listening to Sarah. I certainly have. So until next time, for some more myth busting. Take care, everybody. Thank you for listening to this podcast episode. We really hope you enjoyed it. Please rate us and leave us a review. We really want to know what you think. And don't forget to subscribe so you don't miss out on any of the amazing guest speakers we have lined up.